Welcome. Thank you. To me after work, you don't know what you don't know. Mm. Dot dot dot. Mm-hmm. Until you know, and we have Rob Kruge, head mm. of Lazard, or was head of Lazard mm-hmm. um, Asset Management for Asia Pacific region, who has just recently retired at mm. such a young age. Yes. Rob, we're going to get straight into it. Okay. In the press release, it said going for a long walk and contemplating a new direction. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, firstly, I guess I should clarify the term retirement. Mm-hmm. Most people assume it to mean playing golf, gardening, hanging out with grandkids, whatever, um, or buying a camper van and touring Australia. Uh, while all sounds appealing, uh, neither of these are me. So all that retirement means is truly just getting off one treadmill, if you like, and to see what lies ahead. And I use the analogy of treadmill uh, in as much for the last 30 years, I have been on a professional treadmill um, within financial services or to be more specific, funds management. So my first job out of uni through back in uh, 1987 through to today. Um, one thing led to another and uh, my family are now self-sustained in as much that my son's 23, he's got a full-time job. My daughter is 19, second year university and my wife um, has gone back to university to study a second degree uh, in nursing. So I'm at a point in my life where I'm still young enough to do something, but uh, not old enough to necessarily retire. I honestly believe that um, our quests is to find what my father used to call an exclamation point. And by that is, you know, the exclamation point refers to what excites you. Why do you get up in the morning? For most people, it might revolve around work, but it's, you know, it's not necessarily, it's an ends to the mean, you know, is what is it you're trying to achieve? Um, it could be I want to work so I can uh, financially be self-sufficient so I can go sailing around the world, which is my true passion or whatever. Or it could be I really enjoy my job, my job really thrills me, um, and that is what, why I get up in the morning. Other ways, an exclamation point is what excites you. And last 30 years, I honestly thought work was my exclamation point. Um, but I was coming to terms with the fact that the closer I got to my professional aspirations, the more I was noticing that my personal aspirations were no closer. And then it dawned on me that while I do enjoy my work, my work isn't my exclamation point. Um, That's not to say I didn't enjoy my work. I really do enjoy my work. I I enjoy what I was doing. I enjoy the people I work with, my colleagues, who I can call sincerely call friends, my clients, uh, the, the other providers that I worked with, again, who I can sincerely call friends, but it wasn't necessarily my exclamation point. When did you realize it wasn't your exclamation point? How long ago? 
I guess I had self-doubts maybe six, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point, I was also in a different place. Um, I still had financial obligations in as much that I had um, two children then in private schools. Um, and, you know, mortgage and all life responsibilities. But I wasn't necessarily in a position that I could afford to get off the treadmill. But now my kids are in a more self-sufficient point of place. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son's finished his university degree, now working full-time, and my daughter, as I said before, is uh, in the middle of her university, and things are looking quite well. But I think um, my reflection has also kicked in because I was also talking to my own kids, because I remember being 21. Uh, As I say to my kids, you know, to be 19, as you are, um, you have a lot of questions going through your head as far as what am I going to do with my life. And I'm now 55, which means I too was once 19. Mm. Um, And so all those questions that go through your head at that age, and not just the questions, but the consequences of potentially answering them incorrectly, is daunting. Add on top of that, that it's much tougher now for this generation in as much that the smartphone has created a seven-day work week. The smartphone has created a 24-hour workday. Maybe not actually working 24 hours, but accessible. When my father, for example, came home from work, clearly he was tired and clearly he worked hard. But it was highly unlikely that someone was going to call him with an issue. Um, my father could have been at a dinner party or a restaurant, and if the office were to have called him at 8 o'clock at night or 9 o'clock at night, there was no guarantee he was going to be home. Mm. Is that why you think, or why do you think that the lines are blurred between professional and personal, and should they be? Like, is it just one life? Yeah, but the, the, other, the other disadvantage that young people have is, again, the cost of living for most young people in cities. It's much higher than when I was their age or when my parents were their, their age. Mm-hmm. Um, the cost of owning a home is now out of most Australians, let alone most young Australians, I'll never be able to afford a home. And that kind of sounds depressing because it's kind of like your rite of passage. You go to school, you, you, if, if you're willing, you go to university, and then one day you'll own your home and then you have a family. It's like the predestined... values will change about what's important then, and maybe people might ask themselves whether owning a home is, is the lucrative dream that everyone's chasing... Or is it... Values don't change on their own. Uh, A shock usually forces you to change them. 
And the shock could be endogenous or exogenous, meaning it could be something comes inwardly or, or something that hits you. Um, for some, it could be um, an inward shock, uh, in as much as saying, um, I will never be able to afford a home. My parents, all my sisters, my siblings all own homes. I yet I don't own homes. Or it could be something that hits you where uh, the price of the home is just too outrageous that none of my siblings and I can buy a home. Did you have a shock? Did the shock create in you a new path or direction that you're taking now? In a way, um, I'm not a scientist, but they say that um, experiences cause our brains to rewire. And the more new experiences that you face, the more your neurons rewire differently. And uh, it takes a very short time for your brain to adapt and rewire to these things. Um, How adaptable are we? Yeah, and we're one of the few creatures on this earth that can live in Antarctic or the Amazon and survive on both. Um, so the rewiring concept is probably the answer to, you know, did I adapt? I adapt because my life was changing, my circumstances changed, and it caused me to reflect from a different position. How much reflection have you done, do you think? Oh, we all reflect. I would hate for anyone to assume that um, uh, sometimes we over-reflect, overthink. Uh, and I probably suffer from the latter, <laughs> where I overthink my own problems to the point that I create them uh, more so than I solve them. Or I create new ones that I didn't know existed. Uh, phantom problems, if you like. <laughs> but um, I, I think the challenge isn't to re reflect. I think the challenge is to compartmentalize your thoughts into top drawer, bottom drawer. Okay. What's important and what isn't. And that's where it gets blurry. And that's perhaps where um, experience comes in. Experience is another word saying age. Um, there's an old line that, that I love, and it's um, the difference between wisdom and intelligence is very finite, but often blurred. For example, it takes intelligence to know that a tomato is a fruit, but it takes wisdom to know not to put it into a fruit salad. Um, and that's another way of saying, and through our education process, we are taught to think, and in some cases overthink and rope learn. Mm. And increasingly, uh, fewer and fewer students are studying liberal arts at university. The number of students going into philosophy or taking philosophy courses or art appreciation courses or who knows what Have you is shrinking. Are you down a finance guy or...? Uh, you, well, don't forget... <laughs> um, oh, that's a typical that's question. A big question. <laughs> All right, going back to the numeric side. Uh, <laughs> the brain is made up of two lobes, left and right. Uh, your right is more artistic, your left is more numeric. Um, I guess... I blend both. I hope I 
hope to blend both. That's a good way. Because um, there is, in finance, um, uh, anyone who knows finance knows that it's constantly changing. And the drivers of this change are themselves not constant. Um, so what may move an asset price today may cause it to correct the next day, even though it's the same news. So uh, a successful finance person will have the wisdom to know where to position and compartmentalize the thought. Um, and I like to think I have an ability to be able to do that. Talk about walking down the mountain or climbing down the mountain. Yep. Um, there's a great book called Touching the Void. Um, about two, some of you may have seen the movie, about two climbers who go to the Andes in Peru. Um, and it, it, the book starts that basically that most climbing accidents, but a large percentage of them, happen when climbing down the mountain. Um, for many of us who reflect about quote, the word success, um, and let's face it, we're all ambitious. That's how we're wired. We all want to have a little bit bigger uh, caveman cave than the next caveman. We want our batting stick to be a little bit bigger than the other batting stick. Um, and that's always been since our primal days. Um, and this competitive nature within us um, has cause many to define success um, through accolade, achievements, or bank statements. And that drive for success is what, in essence, is like oxygen to the muscle as we climb the mountain. And even when we get close to the top, we then realize we, drive, we uh, put another aspiration. Uh, I know a lot of people, when I was beginning in the industry, you know, when I was young, people would say, oh, if I ever make a million dollars, many of my friends in, in university was, if I ever make, I would retire right away. And then in their 30s, oh, if I ever make five million dollars, I would retire right away. And then when they're 50s, if I ever make 10 million dollars, I would retire right away. My point is that whether they achieved it or not, their mountain, uh, ironically, kept on going up. And um, they kept on looking up as opposed to looking how far they got. And it's only when you look down the mountain that you realize that, hell, you already might be there. Um, and like an illusion, the top of the mountain is just an illusion. It's an illusion that our competitive nature perhaps has imposed on us. And it could be that if you are on top, then it's time to firstly enjoy the view and then come down and if you're able, climb another. And so how would you describe where you are now in respect to the mountain? Stumbling down. <laughs> um, or tripping down would be more likely. Um, 
I, I guess, again, staying on that analogy of mountains and all that, I two things. Firstly, humbled by it. Because once you reach up and you've gotten to a certain level, um, and again, the level is is different for everyone. Huh? So I don't mean to imply that it's a, a fixed point because it's not fixed. It could be different things for different people. But for me, once you reach a certain level, then you reflect, "Oh shit, how did I get here?" And you think about all the positive things that have happened. But it would be also short-sighted if you didn't think about all those who helped you get there. Or more importantly, all those who were there by your side when you tripped and fell. And that's where the humbling moment lies. The ones who didn't give up on you when you gave up on yourself. The ones who weren't in front of you to protect you, weren't behind you to propel you, but were by your side to encourage you to get up and do one more step. And that's the humbling moment. So as you come down the mountain, your proverbial mountain, and again a mountain that exists purely in your head, and therefore it's purely your own mountain, uh, with no fixed height, um, as you come down and if you're able to capture and truly reflect on all those who've helped you then you are better positioned to not only look for your next mountain but more importantly look around for those who are still climbing and be there for them as they were for you and those could be people that who are actually there for you or, if you like, pay it forward, those who weren't. But you want to help them as well. Just like others who you didn't know helped you. So when is your last day of work? 28th of February. Okay, talk, talk us through the plan. What's going to happen from there? From the 28th? Yeah, like for the next sabbatical I know you've spoken about what, what does that mean exactly uh, look there's um, my wife likes to say to me um, you're not going to know what your next challenge is while you're employed that you really need to do something for yourself and clear your head and she's right um, so there's two ways to find I guess some sort of mental resilience or clarity, if you like. One of them is through meditation. Um, and that's not me. I've tried. Well, I was going to say, how did you go with meditation? I, I've tried. I, I really. Why have. isn't it you? Uh, well, the word prugé is old French for ants in the pants, and um, I just. I struggled. I really struggled. And, you know, my friends who are good at it, they said, of course you do. That's part of the learning process. But the other way I believe that one can find mental clarity is through endorphins. Um, and that's why they say, you know, you should always go work out because it clears the head. Go to the gym. Do something physical to clear your head. Um, 
And if, in fact, that's true through some sort of physical uh, workout, if you like, then I plan a sabbatical that has me on the move. So I'm very blessed to be able to take a three-month sabbatical away from the family and go solo. So I'm packing my backpack with two hiking shoes, um, a few hiking trousers, a jumper, and basically the bare minimum. And I'm going to South America. Um, I'm going to Argentina. I also have some family in South America, so I'll catch up with my family, uh, both in Argentina and in Peru. And then around Easter of this year, um, early April, I fly to Europe, and I hope to do El Camino, which is an 800-kilometer pilgrimage from the French Pyrenees, uh, or a town called Saint-Jean, and uh, to a town on the Atlantic coast of Spain called Santiago de Compostela. So the 800-kilometer, the, the Way of St. James, exactly. Some of them may, may know that through the movie The Way with Martin Sheen, made by his son Emilio Estevez. Um, and you start in St. Jean, you cross the Pyrenees to Pamplona, and then you go west towards the Atlantic coast, and you finish in Santiago. And with nothing but hiking boots, backpack, a good music selection on my iPhone, and uh, good headphones. Is it a spiritual experience, a physical experience? It, 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 all of the above. Um, and again, that's uh, religion, spirituality is uh, a term that has no color, meaning that it means many different things to many different people. Um, so rather than try to define it, what I will say is the commonality of it, I've heard about the way is that the first third of the walk is a physical exhaustion. The uh, second third of the walk is a mental exhaustion. Mm -hmm. And the final third is the um, spiritual awakening. And maybe that's when the endorphin, endorphins kick in. Um, you know, the, the runner's high, if you like. Um, and I'm hoping that's... I'm expecting that's how it would transpire. Um, my knees permitting, because I have really crap knees after years of sport, um, I'm hoping that my knees will, won't give in and will continue and let me accomplish it. Then once I finish that, probably around mid-May, I will go to Israel. I'll go down south. I'm planning to go down south to Eilat in the, near the Red Sea. Then Jerusalem, walk the, the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem that are the same existing I'm roads so that have been there for 2,000 years, same roads. <laughs> and then from there I go to Sfad, which is near the is one of the spiritual uh, spiritual capitals of Israel, up north, a very bohemian artistic town, up north near the Palestinian border. And then once I finish that late May, I will go to uh, Thailand where a friend of a friend uh, runs an elephant orphanage on the west side of uh, Thailand where they rehabilitate elephants. The mm -hmm. older ones they send up north to Chiang Mai for the tourists mm -hmm. and the younger ones they re rehabilitate. Um, and you're assigned an elephant while you're there. 
How long will you be there? Uh, ten days. So I'll probably be only picking up uh, elephant crap, but I don't yeah. care. <laughs> photos. Are photos. We see photos. Yeah, I, I hope to set up a blog of the trip. Yeah. Where can we? Um, what? what watch the space. Yeah. Uh, watch okay. the space. But I'm I'm hoping. I was listening to a song, um, and there was a line in there, and, and it just resonated for me. And that's uh, falling awake. So I will probably, if it's not taken, it might be taken, but if it's not taken, I hope to call it falling awake. Okay. And I'll probably put it on Blogger. Great. Definitely be following that. Mm. Just um, last words or maybe a piece of advice for, you know, someone that could, you know, you six years ago, you know, the feelings that you had or, or you know, the changes in your life at that moment in time, what advice would you give to someone just from your experience the last six years to get you to this place where you are now? Never fear to reinvent yourself. Um, In the 30-odd years that I've been working, I've experienced several recessions, uh, several job losses, for faults out of my control Um, and each time it's a jolt to your ego Um, and one of the ones that really strikes me was I was uh, just under 40 I had a three-year-old son and my daughter was soon to come and the Asian financial crisis hit Um, the precursor to the global financial crisis and at that time, no one was hiring. I mean, there were no jobs. So I had a mortgage, a young baby, and another baby on the road, on, on the way to come, sorry. Um, and it was tough. And I said, I don't care, I'll, I'll pump petrol if I have to. This is the days before Uber. Uh, I'll do whatever it takes. Um, and I ended up taking a job under the umbrella of called financial services that I never, ever would have assumed I would take or I would do. So I went from financial management to consulting because I always saw myself as a portfolio manager. Okay, so for people that don't understand the finance space, is that like a downgrade or...? Uh, No, no, it's it's completely completely parallel, but out of my vision. So... My blinders, my horse blinders, were only looking, again, up that mountain, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I realized that it's possible to climb the same mountain but from another part of it. And for those who are budding engineers, they might be electrical engineers. Uh, But, again, the term engineering is very broad. Mm -hmm. So just because you're electrical engineering doesn't mean you can't uh, widen that spectrum and do another form of engineering. You might have to learn, but clearly an engineering is a very broad term. Medical. Probably goes back to your adaptability. Mm. The medical. I mean, you could be a you could be working in the medical field as a nurse. Um, but again, something happens. Well, all of a sudden you find yourself working in pharma, utilizing the same medical experience, but in a different part of the mountain. Mm. And that. So my point is that when 
something out of your control knocks you down, it takes a lot of strength, emotional strength, to learn how to take off that blinder. Because our natural inclination is to give ourselves self-pity. Damn it, this is so unfair. Why did this happen to me? Oh my God, what am I going to do? I sh- you know, these other people didn't lose their jobs and I did. That's unfair. Well, okay, it happened. You're not going to change it. Um, and so we can, as someone would say, you can either sit down and, and worry about it or you can learn to stand up. Um, it just means you might learn to stand up using a different foot more differently. Um, so yeah, this the the, the one the, the one if I can leave anyone with one idea is that never be afraid to reinvent yourself at any point of your career. Um, adaptability is what kept us alive over the years, and you could be a wonderful engineer making horse and carriages, but your future is non-existent. You could be a wonderful brown coal miner or engineer, but there's not long-term future in brown coal mining. So if you're listening to this in the liberal government, learn that maybe we should invest more in solar energy. Sorry, that was just my my little angle. Um, but you get my point. Yeah. yeah. The, the need to reinvent yourself because either circumstances out of your control or in your control will force you to do it. So um, last thing, if you had a word of the year this year, what would be your word? One word. That's a really good question. You know the like, big questions, right? It's like saying, what's your favourite flavor for wine you know you, you, you all of a sudden you like white wine and then a few months pass and, and you move on to another red and... <sighs> it's hard for me to answer um, I guess I would say it can change. It might change, yeah. but at this moment in time, and of course, we're going to interview you in three months' time when you come back. Okay. But right now, what's your one word that's going to that feels right for you? It feels good. Unknown. That's perfect. Mm. That's perfect. Mm. Thank you, Rob. Thank you.